You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. How are you guys doing this morning? Uh, it's good to be here with you guys. Uh, we're super excited to have you. If this is your first time, we just want to say welcome. Uh, to, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, just want to say welcome and thank you for being here. We know that uh, coming to a new place with new people can sometimes be uncomfortable. And so we just want to tell you thank you for taking a risk and uh, joining us this morning. Uh, also, just want to say welcome to all of you that are joining us online this morning. We know not everybody is comfortable with coming here to the building, and so I want to let you know we're ready when you're ready. Uh, we're so excited to have you joining us online. Uh, we as a church have actually worked really, really hard at uh, trying to make an online experience for everyone. And so whether you're here uh, with us in the building or whether you're watching us online, could we just take a moment and show some love to our tech and media team? Um, yeah. They've done a great job uh, just rolling with the punches. And so whether you're here with us in person or watching online, we're so glad that you're here. Um, so as a church, we want to remove obstacles for people to get to Jesus. That, that is something that we are all about, that we're not just here trying to put on a better show than everyone else in town and trying to participate in what I call Christian cannibalism, where we just steal Christians from other churches here in the city. That That's not what we're about. Uh, that as a church, we are unapologetically, unapologetically chasing after people that are far from God, that we're going after people that do not believe in God, uh, people that think they're too smart for God, people uh, that think they're good without God or maybe not good enough for God, uh, people that have been burned by the church or are bored with religion. We are passionately pursuing people that have strayed away or that have stayed away from Jesus. And you may be sitting there in this moment today thinking to yourself, well, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. So what about me? Like, is this church for me too? And my answer is absolutely, absolutely. That we've never been about as a church coming here and simply consuming, but that we're looking for everyone who is willing to contribute to this mission that we have to leave a trace of God's love everywhere that we go. That it's going to take nothing less than every single one of us using the gifts and talents and abilities that we've been given to remove the obstacles that live or exist in the lives of others. And uh, real quick, you know, I just want to say that if you're looking to develop your faith, I believe this is a strong statement, but I think it's true. And if you're looking to develop your faith, I don't think there's a better way to develop your faith in following Jesus than helping others follow Jesus for themselves. And so we're glad to have you. We're glad to have everyone with us. But I want to be clear that we are pursuing people far from God. And a lot of the reasoning behind this belief, this conviction that we have as a church, actually comes from the character we're going to look at today. Uh, that for a very long time, for several weeks this summer, we have been in this series called The Chosen. where We've taken a look at a different character every single week to understand that maybe we're not so different than these people than we thought. We understand that whenever we read scripture and whenever we read about different characters in the Bible, sometimes they can be different, distant, sometimes they can be difficult to relate to. However, we as a church, we want to help close that gap. We want to learn some things from some people that got to spend face-to-face -face time with Jesus. And so we started with Peter and Paul and Mary Magdalene, and then last week we talked about Judas, uh, the man that betrayed Jesus. But today I want to take a look at a man uh, that probably spent more face-to-face -face time with Jesus than any of these people, maybe even combined. Um, that he uh, spent a lot of face-to-face -face time with Jesus, but even though that's true, he was not a believer. That for most of his life he was a skeptic. 
that he did not believe in who Jesus said that he was. And his story ends in a very much different place than where it started. But today I want to talk to you about a guy named James. Not James the disciple, but James the brother of Jesus. And I want to see what his story can teach us today. And so it may surprise you to hear this, but Jesus was not an only child. Uh, That while, yes, his father was God and his mother was Mary, it was Joseph uh, that raised him while he was here on earth. That after Mary and Joseph had Jesus, they actually had several other kids as well. We actually get to hear about these these people, these siblings of Jesus in Mark chapter 6, that Jesus, he's been traveling around and he goes back to Nazareth and some people are talking about them and talking bad about him. And so they say this about him. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. That not only was Jesus not an only child, but he actually had several brothers and sisters. And James just happened to be one of these younger siblings. That James would have spent a lot of time, a majority of his life, growing up around Jesus. And while I'm sure there were some perks uh, to being the the brother of the Son of God, uh, there were probably some challenges that came with that as well. Uh, That for James, uh, he probably lived a lot of his life in the shadow of his big brother, Jesus, and his reputation. And I can imagine that for them, that created some obstacles, created some tension in their relationship. And as I've mentioned before, uh, I'm the third of four boys in my family. Uh, that growing up, there was a lot of wrestling, a lot of teasing, a lot of competition that went on. And I can honestly say that when I look back on those days, those are some of my favorite memories as a child. But I think if I were living in those moments today, I probably wouldn't say the same thing. Uh, that I love my brothers a whole lot more now than I did back then. And uh, there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, They teased me a lot. They would beat me up. They would intentionally leave me out of things so I couldn't hang out with them. However, perhaps the hardest thing about being uh, the third of four boys was the amount of unnecessary competition that existed in my life. And I want to stress unnecessary. Uh, that at first, sure, it was like who could race down the street the fastest or who could get the most air off of a jump or who could hold the breath the longest underwater. But as we got older, and I can't speak for them, but I'll speak for myself, uh, the, the pressure to out-succeed my brothers, it only increased. That with each success they had, there was a small level of insecurity. There was a small level of animosity that surfaced in my life. That people were constantly singing the praises of my older brothers. Whether it was my oldest brother who grew a college ministry from very few all the way to 300 students in only a couple of years. Or my next brother that graduated from a prestigious college called West Point and started rising the ranks very rapidly in the military. Or even my younger brother who I'm always supposed to be better than uh, passed me in height. And he started to be able to beat me at basketball, and he became uh, the high school quarterback for his football team and top ten in his class. And when I looked at my brothers, everyone was doing great things, except me. That I had a condition uh, that I like to call little brother syndrome. Little brother syndrome. And it got so bad that if I'm being honest with you, I looked forward to their failures more than I did their successes. And when someone would call me my brother's name, I would get very angry. And when they started to ask about my brothers or, you know, bring that up in conversation, I would simply just change the subject. And all of this because I found myself living in their shadow that I could not escape. And since then, I've learned that all my brothers felt the same way about the rest of us. 
But I do believe this is the same dynamic that would have happened for Jesus and his brother James. That James had a little bit of little brother syndrome. That if I had the struggles that I did with my three imperfect brothers, I can only imagine what it was like to be the brother of Jesus. Like imagine the number of times that he heard, James, why can't you just be more like Jesus? Like it probably would have driven him crazy. But seriously, imagine this for a second. Imagine never seeing your older brother make a mistake. Imagine never seeing him be disciplined. Imagine hearing different pieces of conversations and hushed tones from your mom and your dad where they're talking about Jesus becoming this guy called the Messiah, the one that everyone was waiting for, the person that when you went to your friend's house, this is the person they prayed for, the person that would eventually save everyone. Imagine everybody forgetting your name, that you're constantly being referred to as the brother or sister of Jesus. Imagine living your entire life under someone else's shadow, unable to escape it, yet that person is neither prideful or conceited about it at all. That imagine the amount of comparison, competition, and even contempt that found its way into this family. Guys, it would have been substantial. That I have no doubt in my mind that the life that James lived with Jesus, that it would have led him and his other siblings to despise Jesus for quite some time. And we actually see this surface in John chapter 7 that Jesus, he's been traveling around doing ministry in different places. And while he's doing that, he's accumulated some enemies. But there's some people that want to get him arrested and eventually killed. And he travels around. And so rather than going back down south, he goes up north to Galilee where he grew up because he thinks, you know, I'll be safe there. That's a place I can go where people will take care of me, where I can feel like I belong, that nobody will rat me out. But instead, this is what happens. It says this in John 7. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him You can do such wonderful things. Show yourself to the world, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. That James did not support Jesus in his ministry. That that it's very clear here that his brothers are being extremely sarcastic with Jesus. That they've grown tired about hearing about their older brother. That they, you know, start mocking him and they say, you know, you're not going to become famous. You're not going to become this Messiah if you stay here and just keep doing miracles in the backwoods. You need to go out and show yourself. And it's clear they're mocking him. That through no fault of Jesus, these brothers, these siblings, James, they're hurt. And out of that hurt, they want to hurt the person responsible. So they aim at hurting Jesus. But you guys know this, right? And when hurt people hurt people, it hardly helps. It hardly helps. And whether it was me and my brothers or whether it was Jesus and his brothers, James, uh, whenever he chose to lash out, it never actually helped the situation. No, if anything, it made it worse. That often when we choose to hurt people out of our own hurt, it drives a deeper wedge in between our relationships. And the same is true for James. That in this moment, James was hurt. And so he begins to distance himself from Jesus. That he pushes him away and says, I want nothing more to do with you. That this section right here in scripture that we just read is one of the last mentions of James, the brother of Jesus, for quite a while. And we don't hear about James for the next several years. 
that James did not support Jesus in his ministry. He didn't follow him around and try to learn from him or, or try to help him. We don't even see James at the cross when Jesus dies, nor at the tomb whenever he's buried. And for all intents and purposes, James was done. That he was done. He was finished hearing about his big brother. He was done living in his shadow. He was done being reminded that he's probably never going to be as good as Jesus. And maybe today you can relate to that. Maybe today you're hearing me talk about this guy named James and you're thinking to yourself, if Jesus' own brother didn't believe in him, why should I? And maybe just like James, somewhere along the line, you got hurt. Maybe you've done some things. Maybe you've had some things done to you. And I've created this insurmountable wall when it comes to your relationship with Jesus that somewhere along the way, someone hurts you. Whether it was an ex-boyfriend that took advantage of you. Whether it was the moment your father walked out on you as a young kid. Or maybe it was someone like me who stood up here and just wanted to make you feel more guilty. That growing up, the message you heard, that the things that were spoken over your life, that you were damaged goods, that you're never going to live up to any sort of potential that you might have, that you're always going to stay stuck in the shadow of your failures. You've lived your entire life out of that hurt. You've intentionally hurt some people in the hopes that it'll help, but it hasn't. It's just made you feel more lonely than when you started. And for all intents and purposes, just like James, you are done. Done trying so hard. Done with broken relationships. Done with religion. Done with Jesus. That just like James, you've allowed your past perceptions to get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. And it's caused you to either stray away or stay away from Christianity. And listen, if that's you, I'm sorry. Like, I can't imagine how lonely that must feel. I can't imagine how angry that moment must have made you. And listen, if I'd experienced what you'd experienced, I'd probably be done too. Hear me very clearly today, even though this is where James finds himself. Even though James is done, even though James has distanced himself from Jesus, James' story is not over. And neither is yours. Yes, from this point on, we do not hear about James for quite a while. But the story does continue. That eventually his big brother Jesus would be arrested and betrayed in a garden by a man named Judas. And he would be beaten relentlessly, bloodied uh, repeatedly, and bruised maliciously. That Jesus would be forced to carry his cross to the top of a hill. That he'd be nailed to this cross with nails driven through his wrists, driven through his feet, and forced to bear his own weight through the gashes that were left. That Jesus would die his death for the sins of humanity, die the death that I deserve, die the death that you deserve, all while remaining distant from his little brother James. And eventually he'd be taken off the cross and wrapped in linen and placed in a tomb with all hopes of a mended relationship buried there with him. Even though while we don't see James in any of these moments, do not make this mistake that his story is finished. Because three days later, we would see Jesus rise from the grave. And he'd walk out of that tomb very much so alive, and he'd say hello to Mary Magdalene, and then he'd go to the disciples and scare them half to death. But then he, it says this in 1 Corinthians, and then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to James. 
that after all that had happened, after everything that transpired, Jesus goes and he takes the time to just sit down and talk with his little brother, the, the one that did not believe in him, the one that was done with him, the one that we haven't heard about for quite some time, the one that had distanced himself from Jesus. Jesus goes and he sees him. And I wish I could have been there for this conversation. I really do. I wish I would have known what was said there. Because I'm pretty sure this was a very sweet, I told you so moment for Jesus. I know that's what I would have said. But no, we don't get to see what's said in this moment. But we do get to see what changed. Because in this moment, James, he does a complete 180. That he goes from not believing in his brother Jesus to actually helping everybody that he meets be introduced to Jesus. And don't miss this. Like imagine what it would have taken for that to happen. Imagine what have, would have been said uh, or what, ha- what needed to have transpired uh, for this to happen in James' life. Like, think about it. Could you convince your sibling that you were the son or the daughter of God? Like, I know I couldn't. There's this guy named Joseph. He tried it, and they sold him into slavery. And so, like, I'm not sure this would have been an easy conversation. But imagine what would have had to happen. That, that You see, I believe James is one of the greatest defenses for the resurrection of Jesus, specifically his conversion. Because I know with the brothers that I have, it would have taken nothing less than seeing his brother dead and then seeing his brother alive for this to happen in his life. That James went from living in the shadow of his older brother to eventually becoming one of the most influential leaders in the New Testament church. That he would eventually lead the church in Jerusalem for the next 30 years. That James went from not believing, don't miss this, from being a skeptic to eventually becoming a martyr. Forgiving his life for his brother. At one point or another, James was done. But because of his encounter with Jesus, it changed the trajectory of his life forever. And guys, this experience that James had, It eventually uh, moved him to develop this passion, this passion for people that were like him, this passion for people that were far from God, this passion for people that were skeptical, this passion for people that did not believe in his brother, Jesus. That from this point on, we see James relentlessly, unapologetically, chasing after people that are far from God, trying to remove the obstacles that exist in their life. That actually we see this surface in Acts chapter 15, that after the church has already started a little bit, there's these new Jewish Christians, and they're trying to make it harder for everyone to come to know Jesus. They're putting up all these different obstacles. They're saying, it's Jesus plus all this other stuff that will save you. And it's in this moment that we see James speak up and say, no, that's not right. It's not Jesus plus all this other stuff. It's just Jesus. That we shouldn't be making it harder for them to come to know Jesus. We should be making it easier. He says this in Acts 15. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles that are turning to God. That we as people should be removing obstacles, not putting them up. That he is drawing a line in the sand and he's saying, look, we should have a heart for people that are far from God. That we are unapologetically chasing after the people that do not know God. And guys, today is no different. That sure, the obstacles do look different. That uh, today as a church, sometimes we can tend to put obstacles up in front of people. And while, yes, it's not circumcision, like thank goodness, or things like, uh, you know, eating food sacrificed to idols. Instead, 
We say things like, uh, you know, if you come here to church, you better wear your Sunday best. Because if you don't, you know, maybe you shouldn't be worshiping here. Or we say things uh, like, we use words like evangelism or sanctification as if people know what those mean. Or sometimes we can just act as if people need to behave. Or people need to believe everything that we do before we'll ever let them feel like they belong. And sometimes we as followers of Jesus are better at putting up obstacles than we are at tearing them down. We've somehow gotten to a point that we think we're better than everyone else. Because like we don't struggle with the same things the rest of the world does, right? But listen, this conversation, this has never been an us and them conversation. That somewhere along the way, the church has produced a culture that says it's us versus them. But listen, we as a church here at Trace, we want to create a culture that when it comes to our need for Jesus, it's not about us and them. This has always been about you and me. This has always been about you and me. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in desperate need of a Savior named Jesus. Now listen, this is a place you can stop pretending. That you can stop pretending you have your life together because none of us do. That as a church, we aim to never water down the gospel, but we also never want to use it to scare people into following Jesus. And I recognize that in an audience like this, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of different obstacles that exist in all of our lives when it comes to our relationships with Jesus. But as a church, we have a choice. We have a choice to either put obstacles up or we have a choice to tear them down and bring them down so that people can get to Jesus. And so my question to you is, what about you? Like, what is standing in the way of you getting to Jesus? Maybe for you, it's a past hurt. That somewhere along the way, someone did some damage in your life. Someone did or said something in your life that has left some deep wounds there. And as a church, we want you to understand that you are not what you've done. And you're not what's been done to you. That Jesus, he took all those things and he nailed them to a cross. So that 2 Corinthians could be true when it says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Someone needs to hear this. The old life is gone. And a new life has begun. Listen, your past hurts do not need to stand in the way of your relationship with Jesus. That your past hurts do not need to stand in the way between you and God. That Jesus, he took care of those things for you. That your past hurts don't need to be an obstacle when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. Maybe for you it's a present habit. That you found yourself in a place in life that you just do not like. Especially when it comes to your personal life. Maybe for you it's gambling. Maybe for you, it's pornography. Maybe for you, it's drug or alcohol abuse that you look at your life and the things that you've done and the things that you struggle with now. And they believe that they discount you from a relationship with Jesus. That no one could truly love you. No one could truly accept you for who you are and what you've done in your life. And with as much grace and respect as I can muster. Can I tell you, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. And we as a church would love the opportunity to love you. But even when we don't act like it, guys, there is a God in heaven that created you, that loves you more than we ever could. And he still wants what's best for you. And it says this in Galatians 5, so Christ has truly set us free. Set us free from those present habits. Now make sure that you stay free. 
And don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. That listen, there is a God that will love you at your worst, but wants to lead you to your best, that you are not too far gone, that freedom is possible. Listen, your current habits do not have to become future regrets. That Jesus still wants to spend eternity with you. And so don't let your present habits get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Or maybe for you, finally, it's an intellectual hang-up. There are just some things about Scripture, some things about this religion we call Christianity that you cannot wrap your head around. That the list of doubts and unanswered questions have gone on for far too long. And the list simply just continues to grow. You don't know where to start, but you want to find answers. And if that's you, we would love the opportunity. Love the opportunity to sit down and find some answers to the questions that matter the most. Specifically when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus. Because we believe that is the foundation of our faith. Because if there was a guy, if there was a guy named Jesus that predicted his own death, got it right, then three days later walked out of a tomb like he's done something we haven't. He's figured out some things that we haven't. And I'm going to go with whatever he says. That following Jesus does not mean you have to check your brain out the door. That there are good answers to the questions that we ask the most. There are million dollar answers to the million dollar questions that we have. And so don't let your intellectual hangups get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. So maybe for you, it's a past hurt. Maybe for you, it's a present habit. Maybe for you, it's an intellectual hangup. But we as a church are convicted, but also committed to help you remove the obstacles that stand in the way of you and Jesus because we know this, that Jesus is the only one that can save anyone. And so we want to get everyone in a relationship with him because this has never been about us and them. This has always been about you and me because we are unapologetically chasing after people that are far from God, but it is going to take each and every single one of us on mission together, joining together to remove the obstacles that exist in people's life. So the last question I'll ask you is this. Will you join us? Will you join us? Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for an opportunity to just talk about uh, your brother James. God, we know he spent a lot of time around Jesus, and that led him to be skeptical about who Jesus was. But God, we get to see him do a complete 180, and that's what we're asking for in our lives. That God, whatever is standing in the way of us and you, God, help us to get out of the way. If that is ourselves, then please remove it. God, help us to be the kind of people, help us to be the kind of church that cares about the people you care about, that loves the people you love. God, help us to see people as you see people and relentlessly pursue, relentlessly pursue, God, removing the obstacles that exist in people's lives so we can get them to you. God, we're so grateful for Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and transition into a time of response. And maybe for you, you've seen uh, these three symbols that exist uh, outside in our lobby, and you're starting to wonder what those mean. And this is definitely a part of our our church now. This is definitely a part of what we think are our next steps as a church. And, and very simply, it's very it's just three things. I'm not asking everything of you. We just want three things. Uh, that we want everyone at this church uh, to gather together, to get in a group, and give to the mission. 
to gather together, to get in a group and give to the mission. That part of gathering together is a part of this response time as well. That Jesus said, whenever you gather together, which is often, uh, make sure that you take the time to remember what I've done for you. And so all around the room, we have these four tables and on those uh, is a cup of juice and a cracker. And we take those as symbols to remember that Jesus died the death uh, that he did for us, that he sacrificed his life in place of ours. And so during this time, you can take an opportunity to go to those tables and remember exactly what it is that Jesus has done for us. But second, we get in a group because we were not created to do this faith thing, do this life thing alone. That maybe you have some unanswered questions. Maybe you have some things you need prayer for. Maybe you have uh, some, some past hurts that you're struggling through in life right now. And guys, we don't want you to suffer through that alone. So maybe today you take the opportunity, your next step is to go and get in a group. Or, or finally, the last thing is give to the mission. That we as a church, we always want to be growing in generosity. That we never want money to get a hold of our hearts. And if you're a guest with us, there is no obligation to give. We're glad you're here. But if you've come prepared to give this morning, there are buckets at the four tables that you can go ahead and give there. Because like I said, we as a church, we always want to be growing in generosity. And so I don't know how you need to respond this morning, but I ask that you do. And so I'm going to pray, and then you can go ahead and respond. God, thank you for this day. God, help us to lead different. God, let us not waste an encounter with you and your son. God, whatever's going on in our hearts, if there's things we're struggling with, if there's habits that we have, if there's hangups, if there's hurt, God, I pray that we would share that with someone else. That we weren't made to bear those things alone, that there are people here that would love uh, the opportunity to sit in that gap with everyone else. And so God, however we need to respond, I pray that you give us the courage to do so. Thank you for your son and his sacrifice for each and every one of us because we know nothing, none of this would be possible without him. God, we love you and we're grateful for Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen.